asking a lot of questions in the beginning and creating my observations is more important than having the right answer because it'll lead you to the right answer. This is the podcast where we go around the globe to interview marketing leaders from the world's biggest brands, fastest growing companies, and most disruptive startups. Great ideas packaged a certain way want to spread. They want to be told to someone else. It's simple, surprising, and significant. Unlocking viral creativity is to make it rapidly scalable. This is Top CMO with me, Ben Kaplan. Today, I'm speaking with Alina Vilk, CMO of Hootsuite, a platform that helps businesses manage their social media accounts, schedule content, and analyze metrics. Schedule social posts, then kick back with Hootsuite. Alina brings a wealth of experience to the table, starting her career in advertising and events, then moving on to roles at Yahoo and Visa. She's also held leadership positions at PayPal and Facebook, focusing on global marketing and small business marketing, respectively. Most recently, she was the CMO of WooCommerce, a popular open source e-commerce platform for WordPress. So what are the four C's of marketing, according to Alina? And how can that give you a better perspective on your overall marketing plan? And what does she mean by the analogy of the balcony and the dance floor? Let's find out with Hootsuite CMO, Alina Vilk. Elena, you've been on the job for just a couple months, under 90 days. How is it, first of all, overwhelmed, trying to soak as much information as you can? Do you have a playbook for what you do when you start at a new CMO role? Well, thanks for having me here. Yes, it's been a couple of months. It feels like a lot longer. I uh, jumped in with both feet, was really excited for this role. You know, uh, I think in terms of looking at opportunities and looking at roles, it's it's not often that you have a chance to work for a marketing company as a CMO. And that gives you a really big seat at that table. And I think for marketers, that's a rare opportunity. And so um, for me, that was like a big factor in taking the role and in my excitement within the role. And that has not wavered. In fact, I'm probably more excited about it now than I was even before I took the role. Uh, a lot of that is fueled by the leadership team that we have and our CEO and kind of the, the fact that I just think there's so much opportunity ahead of us that we can, we're all building it together. And that's, that's been a wonderful feeling. So, so far it's been great. Uh, in terms of the, the first 90 days, it's a whirlwind. Uh, so thinking about it, I have a framework that I like to use, uh, in the first 90, which is really around this idea of, um, what are the four elements that matter? What are the four elements I really need to learn to be able to evaluate the business and how quickly can I learn them to be impactful? because um, you don't have a lot of time, I think, um, in any C-suite role to really passively learn for 90 days. Uh, so what are the four things that we can do quickly? So the first thing was around uh, customers. Um, it's like four C's that I use. So customers is really uh, understanding who our customers are. Why are they with us? Why do they leave us? Uh, who are our top customers? What are their behavioral traits? Uh, what are the things that they're doing that maybe uh, are not obvious? So in terms of our customers, it's not just like the research and the data, but it's the things that they're not saying. I have a design thinking background. We can talk more about that later. But the things that are implicit in customer behaviors that were, that are not obvious, those are the things I like to try to figure out right away and talk to customers. I've already, I've already spoken to over 30 customers um, in the first uh, few days, that I, the first month that I started really and ask them a lot of questions about how they think about their business. So four C's, your first 90 days. And by the way, before we do the other C's, 
Is there a reason there's four? You just happen to have it? Is there four elements like Earth? There's four elements. First up, customers. That's the Earth of your business realm. Imagine your customers as the fertile soil that makes everything grow. They're the foundation, the ground you walk on, and the reason your business kingdom thrives. Without them, you're ruling over a barren land. So how do you keep this soil rich and productive? By listening, engaging, and delivering value. When you understand your customers' needs and wants, you're not just planting seeds, you're growing a lush, sustainable garden that will feed your kingdom for years to come. Elena, what is two of the four C's? Uh, culture. This adage, culture, eat strategy for breakfast, et cetera, et cetera. I would say the culture. Um, what is the culture of the company? Because you can bring in your best ideas, but what worked there may not work here. And so, um, you know, I, I think of it as like organ rejection, right? Like, am I going to bring in ideas that are just going to be just like, yeah, this is the exact way we should structure a marketing team because that worked for me the last five years. That may not work here. You don't know the DNA of the company. So um, so you need to take a little bit of a humility chip and really understand the culture. What are you what are you walking into? These people had lives before you came in here. It's really important to appreciate that. What were the drawstrings of success in this company? What were the things that are just native? Like, what are the hootsuite things, right? And there's a lot of them, actually. One thing I realized is the palpable is the culture in the air at this company. Uh, it's just the excitement and passion of the team and the way that they interact. I mean, there's this whole, like, uh, we have owls in this whole owl culture. The owl, which is the logo, and of course, hootsuite, which is derived from the owl, of course. But do you have any method for figuring out the culture or is it just getting a sense for it? You know, you mentioned 30 customers. You go interview 15 marketing team members and 15 non-marketing team members and you get your 30 interviews in. Or How do you figure out the culture? I've, I've done over 50 one-on-ones. Next, let's talk about culture. That's the air that fills your kingdom. It's invisible, but so important. Think of culture as the atmosphere that everyone in your organization collectively breathes. It's what sets the tone for how your team collaborates, innovates, and celebrates. Just like you can't survive long without air, your business can't thrive without a healthy culture. So make sure it's fresh, clean, invigorating. A positive culture is like a gentle breeze that lifts everyone up, helping them soar to even new heights. Elena, you do your one-on-ones, you get a sense for the culture. That's two. We got earth and we got air. What is the, the third C that you're trying to understand and uncover your first 90 days of CMO? My third C is company, meaning the company financials, products, foundations. Um, what are the levers that are going to drive the company forward? So um, understanding the language that we use, the acronyms, but really understanding beyond that, like what drives the company forward? And what are the things we're missing? Uh, what are the things that we are not looking at uh, in, you know, in the company, in the, in like, you know, you're kind of mired in the details on your day to day, right? Like in the, coming in new, you have supervision where you can actually see um, things that are maybe not as obvious 
uh, in the financials and in other areas. So that's the third C. So if I was going to put it simply, it's that how do we make money? How do we make more money? And what can I see in all of the use the term lever, which is if you have a lever, if you have like a really big stick, what are the things that I can push and use to move things to great effect? So that's like to me, that's like water. That's like the lifeblood. Like we can't even survive if we don't have water. We don't get to do all the other things we do if we don't like understand the water. Yeah. Now, onto company, the water that nourishes your land. Water is versatile. It takes the shape of whatever container it's in, and it can be both calm and powerful. Likewise, your company, its mission, vision, and values should be adaptable yet strong. It's the lifeblood that keeps everything in your kingdom lush and vibrant. Whether it's your products, services, or unique selling proposition, this is the why behind your what. Keep it flowing, keep it clean, and make sure it reaches every corner of your company. Okay, so we've done customers, that's the earth, culture, that's the air, company, that's water. What is the fourth C? Any bets on the fourth C? Uh, I think uh, some producers and some back channels here. We had some words about community going on. Maybe that. We had some other things. Tom suggested community. Is Tom right? Well, community I placed under customers. So that was really important. Okay. Um, but it's community okay. under customers. Um, fourth C is competitors. We don't operate in a vacuum, right? We only operate in the context of our competitive set. If we're a social media platform like Hootsuite, we have a lot of competitors of various sizes from those who cater to large enterprises to those who are, you know, catering to the small individual person that just wants to, you know, get more social media likes. So you got a lot of competitors. We have a lot of competitors. And I think it's not even just about understanding the competitors. And I don't so much look in competitors to determine what our strategy would be, because I think that's a huge mistake. I look at the first C's, three C's to determine where our strategy would be. I look at competitors to determine what our customers see. So at what ecosystem are we playing in and where, what are our customers seeing when they start to on-ramp and on-board and, and evaluating us versus like when I have two options, what are the two options and how am I being looked at comparatively to other options? And of course, competitor is perfect because our last element is fire and competitors are the fire. That just makes sense. It's, it's out there. It's kind of lurking. It's dangerous, but we got to like run across those coals and, and get through the fire. And, you know, one other thing that I think is interesting now, particularly in times of, of change and disruption. And I don't know if you think about this in your first 90 days or if this is further up down the line, but it's like you have your direct competitors, but with a changing world, competitors emerge in different ways. We have generative AI that's right there that people are surprising that, that that's going to play a role in social media. Well, I don't know, you know, could open AI be a competitor? You wouldn't really think it's a competitor of Hoopsuite, but who knows? Maybe there's some application of it that it could be, right? So do you think about that too, you know, not only in, in current competitors, but indirect or emerging competitors just based on trends and changes? That's right. The competitor is a big word. It's, it's more than competitors that are competing with us right now. I don't see them as a huge threat. I'm, if they're listening, I don't think you are. But, but I would say that, um, but I would say that um, 
It's really, it's, it's more because I think it builds the ecosystem for us. Like the more people that use social media, uh, the, the more companies that use us, the better it is. Cause I actually think competition is really good for business. Uh, but I would say it's more of like, and less about being a threat that I'd say it's more about like, uh, understanding the ecosystem and understanding where we need to go and where are we not playing and what are we need to be thinking about in the broader ecosystem for our customers. And for those last two, um, for the company and for competitors, any specific uh, tactics that you do in the first 90 days to try to get a hold of those, like your one-on-one interviews for culture, like your 30 customer interviews? So um, for company, I look at our metrics and I, and I study our metrics and I look at our company journey and I look at our funnels. So, um, so what I study is uh, not just like the company-wide metrics that everyone uses, but also very metrics specific to my field or genre. I guess I should say, I look at behaviors in our funnels uh, and I ask a lot of questions around behaviors in all of our funnels. And are we thinking about it from a customer perspective? Meaning um, the funnels that we typically look at are very much inward facing. We look at, okay, how they start here at the top, we funnel them down, there's less and less people in the funnel, we go down and then there's a conversion and so and so and so, and that's a typical funnel, great. What does the customer journey look like? What is the customer's view of the funnel? Meaning, are they aware of us? Like, are customers becoming aware of us at, a, at, a, at the pace we want them to be? Are we driving new customers to look for us? Are we relevant to them? Is our message sticking with them at different points in their journey? What are all the points in their journey? Do we know? What are points external to us? A lot of times companies only look at their funnels, like their specific websites or their specific blogs, et cetera. What are the customers doing? What are prospects doing outside of us? What's happening there? Um, What's our conversion rate across all of that? Are they they connecting with us or not to relevance? And then um, when we we look at existing customers, are are we significant to them? Are we actually going to be somebody that they stick with? Are they loyal to us? Are they someone that they would advocate uh, or speak on our behalf? Like, what is what does their journey look like? So for me, it's really taking external metrics and translating them into customer language to be really customer obsessive. And then when you can do that, you can actually think about the world a little bit differently because I find that you actually start asking different questions. Finally, we arrive at competitors, the fire of your domain. Fire can be both good and bad. It can destroy, but it can also provide light and warmth. In the business world, your competitors are that fire. They light up the path you should or shouldn't take and keep you warm with the drive to be the best. This isn't about burning bridges. It's about using that competitive fire as a transformative force. It's the spark that ignites innovation, keeps you focused, and pushes you to be better every single day. Elena, there's a theme in your career, we can touch upon that, which is how relationships can drive revenue. Because I think, I'm guessing here, reading between the lines, that if if you understand that well and you understand it from the customer's point of view, then you might understand the relationship better and can drive revenue from it. So how does that work in like, let's let's take, you've worked in financial services, you've worked in really large companies like, like Meta or, or PayPal or others, but let's start with Hootsuite, leader in its own right, but maybe not quite as big as Meta. And how does it manifest in using relationships that you understand to drive revenue? Let me give you, uh, before I answer that question, let me actually give you an analogy. 
that maybe will bring this home uh, a little bit before I answer that question. The analogy is this. When you think about your regular relationships in your life, there's there's a factor there of trust, right? Like how many people in your life are you going to ask to help you move? Or if your house is being tented, right, like with termites or something, how many people in your life can you think of that you're going to be able to call? We don't live in the same city, but producer Tom, if we did, he would definitely be my first call. But yes, I, <laughs> yes, Tom's there. You've met Tom. Tom's very nice, very dependable, very trustworthy. But to your point, there's not that many people uh, here in San Francisco that I would maybe draw upon. Maybe a handful or two handfuls, maybe, that I would go up for something like that. Yes. Right. Because you, when you ask for something like that, you know, you put yourself in a very vulnerable position. You need something from them. And for you to do that, for you to ask that favor, um, you've had to have built a lot of trust with that person. And you're going to need to know, you're going to need to know unequivocally that that person will say yes to you if you ask that question and you'll trust them, right? That, that you built that trust over time. When does that trust happen? Can you put a number to it? Probably not. Probably like hundreds of interactions that you've had over time, but it starts with that first coffee, you know, and it's then it starts with like maybe a dinner. Maybe maybe you've been through the trenches together. Maybe you've gone through some tough times and they've been there for you. Um, maybe there's like there's a quotient to it. So when I go back to like awareness, relevance and significance. Right. So awareness, it's like, you know, you're having that first cup of coffee relevance. It's like you're establishing trust. You know, you've invested you both starting to invest the time. You know, maybe you've invested more than time. And then when it's significant, that's when you can ask someone, you have permission to actually ask someone to help you move or go to stay at their house. So when I think about that, you know, that's like a formula that I use everywhere I go, starting with Hootsuite, um, all the way in, in FinTech and everywhere else. We have to earn the trust of our customers before we can ask them for anything. When you think about like your best customers, who your best customers are the people that are going to speak on your behalf, they're going to refer you to other businesses. Like you're asking for that, you know, for me to ask a customer to reference me, that's a big deal. Like I've earned their trust. I've had, I would have had to earn their trust. It's like equivalent of me asking them, to, you know, to stay at their house. So I think any company could use this because every company at the end of the day, whether you're a B2B company or a B2C company, you're in the business of relationships and human relationships all work the same way. We have to earn trust. And we're based on high involvement versus low involvement. One thing that I would say, you know, just on the issue of trust, which is actually something I've actually studied quite a bit, all the way back from measuring the cost of trust, because you can look at something like kind of famous moments in business history, like for instance, when, you know, in the 1980s, Tylenol had some cases of pills laced with cyanide, you know, in Chicago. And they actually made the step of we're going to do recalls across the country, even though this was isolated to a particular region, because our trust is so valuable and that, you know, we can measure it in our stock price, right? And you can see what happened to the stock price. Basically, this is the value of Tylenol's trust, the trust in their brand. So on that sense, but then the other side is, is to me, without getting too far on a tangent here, but, but I, I think it relates to companies as well, is that whether personally or in business, to me, the fastest way to build trust is to say you're going to do something and then do it is the number one fastest way. And, and actually people sometimes forget that you can't just do it. You have to say you're going to do it and then deliver on that. That actually builds more trust than just doing it and like kind of not saying it, you know, surprise, I did it. It actually, because trust is being able to count on someone. And so to me, for businesses, for, you know, friends who are moving things, it's like, you know, I'm there for you. 
I'm going to do this. I've got you. And then I do it. That builds trust. And that can affect marketing for businesses too, because Hootsuite, we're a social media platform. Here's what we're going to do for you. Bam, we did it. That builds trust that lets maybe us do a bigger ask for later on. That's right. But before we can ask you for anything, we have to do that. We have to do that work, right? You've got to, we've got to earn their trust. So I go back to like, it's a customer centered funnel, not a business centered outcome. And so, um, so when we think about that and we reframe our thoughts in that way, well, what are we doing for our customers along their journey? Um, and we think about their journey a lot. So we, we released the social uh, media report and in that we uh, studied like our customers, essentially like, what are they doing? What are they doing day to day? And we found that actually a social media manager has not one job, but a hundred jobs. Plus like they have to write content, you know, um, they have to produce the content. They have to build creative. They have to understand everything going on in a company at any given time. They also have to understand customer service. They have to understand the other side, um, you know, of how to respond uh, to customers and how to do it all in real time. And by the way, their job doesn't stop when they go to sleep because people come onto social at all hours of the day. So when you think about the dynamics of something like that, um, you know, it all starts and ends with with our customers and understanding them deeply. And then we can actually start to understand how to respond to them. And you've mentioned something you alluded to earlier, which is that it's interesting working in marketing, having the top marketing role at a company that assists with marketing. And because you know, you're going to have an important role in, at that type of company. Um, but also, um, we've discussed before this notion of what you can learn about relationships with your customers through social media specifically. And I know you've spoken about basically two dimensions to it, like what you can learn about your biggest fans and what you can learn about your biggest detractors. And you get all that in a fire hose on social media. So how can companies and, and CMOs use that better, whether they are in a marketing discipline as their business or not? If someone told you as a marketer, you can know everything about your top customers for free um, with organic. Would you invest it? Would you invest more time into that? Uh, here's what I know. Uh, your top buyers in any given company, roughly like the numbers are something like between 70 and 80% of your total volume comes from 10 to 20% of your customers, right? Something like that. Those are the numbers. Uh, so these are the top, top buyers are your ICP or ideal customer profile. So when you think about your top buyers, what do they look like and what are their interest groups? A lot of companies mine their own data and build lookalike audiences against their top buyers to find more of them. And this is usually a pretty expensive task um, in terms of really understanding their top buyers. But if you want to understand your top buyers in a three-dimensional way, you don't have to look a lot farther than the people that are following you who are positive to neutral sentiment on your social media pages. People take the time to follow your business, pretty much they're likely to be your top buyer. And um, if they're likely to be your top buyer, they're representing, these people are representing 70, 80%. In social media, you can actually understand their profiles. You can understand what they're saying, what their behaviors are, and you can actually get to know them in a very different way. So with the equivalent of buying them a cup of coffee and understanding them, beginning of that relationship, it can start and it can end with them referencing you and referring you in social media. And a reference in social media is worth so much more. I think about like a reference from a friend of a company versus a reference from, you know, a page or a, a review site. So when we think about that, like if you start to dissect your customers into two groups, one is like people that follow me, my top buyers, 
dissect who they are in your social media pages and being able to understand who they are, what pages they follow, what their interest groups are. That's your blueprint for your top buyers. You can build a whole media plan around that. Conversely, you also have the people that could, you could see them as your detractors. I think of them more as your real-time uh, real feedback loop. You know exactly what's going on at any given point in your company just by looking at the people who are commenting. They're using your social media pages to effectively help them with customer service. That gives you a real-time real option of, of understanding exactly what they're going through and what the issues are in your company at any given day. So between those two and your organic social feed, you've got both. You've got your feedback loop that understands like what your biggest customer service issues are. You've also got your top buyers that you can dissect with first party data, meaning you know exactly who they are um, right there in your social feed. We're really underutilizing that as marketers. If you enjoy this show, you'll love Top CEO. Top CEO is a business school case study telling the story behind the story and what you can learn from it from those who have faced the fire and come out the other side. That was the challenge the team was faced. 25% of it was gone. I found myself $282,000 in debt. How will you navigate through these trials and transform them into opportunities for growth and success? How do you build back up the business and get out of debt? Can't get anything in. Nobody can come to work, right, in any of our factory, in any of the factories. This is Top CEO, available wherever you get your podcasts. What's interesting about social media and the fact that really it was designed to be consumed in bite-sized pieces or larger pieces. What I mean is like in a paid media plan, right? You can do a little bit of a you know, a small buy, you can test it out, see what's worked, and then you can scale up a lot easier than maybe you can do it in other media. What's interesting about that is it means clever folks use it for all sorts of testing and insights because you can do it without huge spends, right? Like, okay, if you're going to do this market research study of our ideal customer, and we've got to do these like elaborate interviews, like that's going to be kind of a big project effort. But if we're going to look at a slice of who we can see and just kind of analyze them using tools, it's not going to be quite so expensive. We can do it a little bit more agile, a bit faster. Likewise, if we have a product that's new, or maybe we just have a concept for a product, we don't even really have the product yet. We can run social media ads against that, drive it to a landing page, see in that ideal customer profile, who's interested, who's not, what's their interest. And then before we even develop that product, we can get testing results and kind of test it in the wild. So social media as a laboratory is exciting and valuable. And it brings us to another question for you because you, you work in social media now, you know, you've been a top marketing person in other companies like WooCommerce that's related, but how do other marketers think about what is the purpose of social media for them? Is it you know, to build awareness? Are they trying to drive sales? Are they trying to test things in the wild? Are they trying to get insights? It seems like it's so ubiquitous now that we obviously know that social media is valuable, but we just don't know how to use it to maximum benefit. That's exactly, uh, you just you just hit the nail on the head. If you ask marketers about, and I would say organic social, you can dissect organic social and paid social in kind of two different worlds. Um, paid social, you know, is like a, an extension of your media strategy. I'm gonna I'm gonna reach the folks through paid social. That's part of my media planning. Okay, what about my organic social? I know I need to be in it, but what is it? What is the value of it to me? How do I measure it? How do I extract the value out of it? How do I understand how much to invest in it? 
content management. There's all these like there's internal resources I need to dedicate to it. So um, I find that actually the majority from the organic social, if you ask most marketers, they will tell you that they understand like if you spend a dollar in search engine marketing, they'll know, you know, exactly what that yields you or close to it. Let's take out the um, attribution arguments, which we all have. Um, but if you spend an, if you spend money on content and organic social, it's a harder it's a harder sell in terms of like, I don't know exactly what that does. So how do you start extracting that value and how do you start to really pull that? And the best marketers actually do this really well. They're able to really create viral campaigns um, that drive and it's an augmentation. The, you don't have a strategy without social. It's the biggest Times Square we have right now. The authenticity of that, it's still really relevant. Millions of users every day. So I would say that um, in terms of social media, it's really got to be part of an integrated approach in terms of everything we do because it is organic and because this is like our sound voice, we use it a lot um, at Hootsuite. So for example, we have this product called Amplify. We can get like all of our employees to megaphone a message out. You think about the power of that, like doing that at scale, um, it, it actually creates a better um, SEO value for you because you're able to then connect that with your, um, with your, with your whatever website URL that you're using. You're able to create um, a better SEO story. You're able to magnify that. So what is the role of social? It varies on the company that you're in. Um, if your company is about driving, let's say lead gen or revenue or, or anything else, social is an integrated part of that equation. Using things like UTMs, which is tags, we are gonna help you extract more value or understand where the value comes from. It's still not gonna be one-to-one -one attribution that you see like a last click thing like ROAS, which I can talk more about. But it's about, about an integrated story and where you are in that story. And then if you think about like um, brand value, or if you wanna drive brand metrics, that's a different kind of story. So it really depends on the objective that you're driving towards as a business. The role of social is gonna change, but no matter what, there's a role for social to play because if your customers are there, that's where you should be. At the end of the day, as marketers, we have to fish where, we have to fish where, be where our customers are at the end of the day. Um, and that's where they are. And that's also where they trust and where we can actually have a one-to-one -one conversation and build that relationship and build that story with them and if we're not there, somebody else will be. And that actually highlights, I think, are one of the two reasons of why most companies will struggle on something like social media, just because of two almost like cultural elements of just how companies are usually built to succeed. So one of the first things is you're built to succeed, you know, if you're a company at scale of defining processes and being able to execute those processes kind of in your way and your turf. Yet suddenly social media it might even be specific to the platform, right? This one post, totally fine on Instagram, you put that same post on Reddit and and you're just gonna be hammered by trying to do that on Reddit and you've gotta understand the context. So one, companies have to be pretty good at shifting context, which usually you're used to like, no, this is our playing field, this is our context, that we optimize that context to grow. And then the second thing is that you've gotta be time-based or we call it calendar-based marketing about what's happening right now. So it means you have to kind of move quickly, be willing to uh, try things, learn from it, optimize, which is actually really good if you're an individual influencer. You can try a lot of stuff. There's not a lot of consequences. You learn what works and you do it. But if you're a company, you have more approvals, reasons for concern, more reasons that you know this could create legal risk or compliance risk or all these other things. So by nature, you've got to be more careful and slow and yet social media kind of rewards being quick and fast and learning and iterating. So 
how culturally as a company, you can sort of work in a different context and just work without all the same constraints and test and learn. And if you can't, it's going to be hard to really, really get the most out of social. It is. And people also consume social differently. You know, when you're in that feed, you're, you you want the, um, like the, the headline, the header, right? Uh, the kind of the finger stopping moment, like a thumb stopper, right? Um, what does that thumb stopper look like inside of that moment? But if a company is following you, at the end of the day, they want to hear from you. Um, you know, think about the number of companies you follow in your social feed, not that many. So the ones you choose to follow, there's a reason you're following them. So it's a huge honor to be selected is the way I see it. If someone follows Hootsuite, I owe them uh, the ability to give them the best content to un- have them. And why are they following me? Why do they want to know what I want to say? What are the things they're interested in? And also, what are the things that I want to convey as a company, right? Like, what are the things, how do those things marry up and um, really create between the two? And so that is our job um, is to really reflect that. So it's not just about the campaigns that I'm doing and cr- making social as part of my integrated campaign. That's important. But it's also about how have I create a two-way dialogue and build that relationship over time. Like, I'm having 100 coffees. I'm not just having one coffee, Right. This is my chance. Whereas like when I'm doing paid media, I don't have that much money. You know, like I'm going to buy one premium coffee and that's like my one shot to do it right. I'm going to test that. I'm going to AV test a lot of that. It's going to be like I'm paying if I'm paying money for something, right? Like that's an ROI equation where you're in the hot seat as a marketer to make that ROI work. Um, I'm not saying you can, you can't mess up social. You absolutely can. And we should do it right. And we should take the time to do it right. Um, and I understand there's a lot of compliance challenges, but it does give you a reason to communicate more often with your customers, especially in non-campaign ways, um, in ways that you can actually have create that connection over time. I'd love to to wrap up and and get your thoughts. We've been talking about the purpose of social media and how to unlock its potential. But a lot of this also stems from, it's just, you know, it's a different channel to create the relationships we talked about. And earlier on in your career, I'd like to kind of go through your career a little bit and, and sort of ask you what you take with you from these experiences. And and early on in your career, there's sort of a trifecta of financial services or fintech companies, as I understand it, from Visa and eBay and PayPal. What do you learn from sort of marketing in those spaces that, that you take with you now and that other marketers can use? So after being in payments for many years, my whole world, especially as a younger marketer, was centered around this idea of payments. When you're in an industry, in any industry you're in, you know, um, you kind of center your world around that specific industry and you really uh, speak the language. I talked about this a little bit. I had this life-changing moment when um, I got taken out of my job and went to the the, the D school at Stanford um, to get certified there for, for design thinking because at the D school, they taught you um, that it's really about you know, customer-driven design, which is customer-driven empathy. This idea of really understanding your customers and asking the right question can lead to a completely different outcome. So when you're in a world or you're in an industry, like I mentioned, it's hard to kind of pull yourself out of that. It's easy when you're new to a company, you know, like coming new, oh, I could have this great, I have this great framework with the elements. <laughs> and so um, that Ben just made up, but, um, but it's, it's a lot harder when, you've mi- when you're mired in like an organization and you're, you've been there for five years, you know? So, um, so how do you pull yourself out of that? I had an aha moment in payments when um, I spoke to a customer, like I interviewed a customer and she said, well, I don't, I don't actually like want to pay for anything, 
what do you mean? Payments is the world. Payments is the center of the universe. You know, <laughs> it's like free is better, right? Free is better. Free is better. Yeah. She was like, well, no, I, I don't like, like, well, how do you think about payments? I was so excited because payments is all I think about. Right. So first and foremost, since it's obvious, you're not your customer. Um, so really under asking them the right questions. Second was the fact when she said, I don't, I don't care about payments. I mean, that rocked my world. Like she doesn't care about payments. We're optimizing for payments. Like she doesn't care about payments. What she's really saying is what she really said um, to me was payments needs to be as frictionless as possible. I like, I want, I want, I want to think about the thing that I'm buying. I want to buy I want to go to an event. I want to go to a concert. I want to go on vacation. I want to buy a cute outfit for my date night. You know, like payments is the last thing in the equation. So I'm not thinking about how I'm going to pay until the moment of truth when I'm paying. So when I think about like payment experiences or commerce experiences, like what is the customer thinking about in that moment? And what's going to, what's going to diminish that sale at the end of the day? Well, any kind of friction in the payment process is going to diminish. Maybe that sounds obvious, but as a marketer, um, it wasn't as obvious. Cause I was thinking like, where do I put in payments? Like, where can I market payments? At what point do you talk about payments? Or another way to put it is like, yes, as a marketer, you want people to be thinking about you. I should be thinking about, you know, if you had it your way, like all the time, like think about me like 24 seven from the person's point of view, they're like, well, if I'm thinking about payments and the mechanics of that, then something has gone terribly wrong. If I'm trying to like buy, you know, my travel vacation plans with my family and I'm excited about this trip, or I'm going to go to this amazing concert with my friends or have date night with my spouse or whatever it is. If I'm thinking about you, PayPal or eBay or Visa, something's gone wrong. That's right. It's not about just pushing your brand every single time or pushing the, the instrumentation, but it's about creating the best experience for the customer at that time. And that was a big aha moment for me, which is like, how, what does that mean at different companies you're in? And what is the right time? At what point is the time that I need, that they need to be thinking about WooCommerce or Hootsuite? And at what point in their journey does that need to happen? When is the right time? Which goes back to the framework I gave you earlier, which says where, where in their journey, when do I, when do I introduce myself and ask for a cup of coffee? And when do I ask them to refer me to someone? Like when is the time to move in? And, and of course, getting a really good sense of that is one of the best ways that you can actually be most efficient with your marketing spend, right? Because if you can do it at the peak time, you can actually get a lot done with less, which is actually why we tell a lot of you know, our clients at, at top or a global marketing agency that if you have bigger competitors who spend more and do more, you actually just got to be more opportunistic at the right moment. And then you don't have to do all of the spends they do throughout the year. But if you do it at the right time with the right message at the right moment and you focus, you can actually have a bigger impact than someone that has, you know, just a lot more, more, more weight in your industry, at least, at least for now. Okay. So you, so you go from payments, then you go to meta which obviously if you're going to play in anything digital, you know, suddenly you get to see behind the curtain, right? You get to see, you know, where, where is all this money going and how is it being uh, facilitated to, to, to make business happen? What do you learn at Meta? Next point in your career journey. So the majority of my time at PayPal, I worked on large enterprises. So I worked with B2B companies that were really large in size. And it, I came into Meta uh, and I was now faced with a totally different world, which was small business. Okay, so you're working on small business within in Meta. And, and by the way, Meta is Facebook, right? Parent company of Facebook, they renamed. So Facebook, big, but focused on the small business niche, which sometimes you might think Facebook, Meta might not focus on that much because they got such big clients, but interesting. 
It's a big part of their revenue equation. I'm not going to quote what it is now, but you can look at their earnings report. You think about like democratizing uh, commerce and you think about the idea that having the same tools, like a small business, what's the barrier to entry if they're trying to do a TV ad, right? Or they're trying to do uh, like a billboard, right? Um, what companies like like Meta and Google and others do uh, is they they democratize that opportunity for small businesses. They give them the ability to market themselves at the same playing field as big companies. And so um, I thought that was a really strong, you know, mission for me to jump on, uh, which is why I went over there. And um, was great is that I was able to really think about them and think about you know, small businesses and the mom and pop shops, especially those predominantly still who are uh, physical. Uh, so meaning like coffee shops and how do I start to market myself in different ways? How do I attract new customers? So now you have a totally different audience. So I was working with audiences like that had huge marketing teams that could do all the, all the things. And now I'm working with audiences like I'm the owner of this business and I'm deciding on whether I'm going to do ads on Facebook or whether I'm going to buy a laptop for my son that month. So it was an interesting because like, it's not the same competitors, right? Like when I say competitors, that's what I mean by competitors aren't necessarily a threat, which is like, what is like, what is the mind share I'm looking at in that moment? Like, so when I, when you speak to these small businesses, that really is like, you're looking at, do I spend money on ads? Do I spend money on something totally different? Right? Like that's in my life. That was a huge responsibility. And, um, and I took it very seriously. And I think that, um, and, and I think the people there do too. Everyone, everyone there is um, really awesome. But, uh, uh, you know, thinking about that, the lessons of Meta is that business is really personal. So, um, you know, it was, it was like the pandemic hit while I was there. And uh, a lot of these businesses were only able to still stay in touch with their customers because they had, you know, Facebook tools and Messenger and some of the others out there. So business, what I, what I took from Meta was that business is absolutely personal, that every dollar these businesses invest is a huge responsibility on that business because they are making their entire community's decision based on those dollars that they spend with you. And then the question is not that you can like have a ladder that allows them to climb, you know, slightly like faster than your competitor's ladder or something like that. But it's like, is the ladder up against the right wall for their business overall? Okay. So, and just to summarize, and we'll get to kind of the third and final phase of your career. So one payments, financial services, you're learning like, how do we relevant? How are we relevant? How do we matter? Even in things where people don't necessarily want to think of us. What do we do? And you start thinking about, okay, how do you, you work through other experiences or partners or others to be relevant? You go to Meta, Facebook, you work in small business and, and you realize like, okay, someone might be choosing. It's not like what part of the marketing budget I'm in. It's like, am I doing marketing at all <laughs> versus, you know, infrastructure for my, my, my business or something else. So you learn about the responsibility of that. And then also the importance of understanding kind of the personal sort of situation and it's not how to build your trust or the relationship you have to understand their situation and really deliver and then it makes perfect sense for your next career move which you go to WooCommerce and then you end up of course now past two months at Hootsuite because WooCommerce sort of is a great bridge because it combines payments you're an e-commerce platform with the digital world which you got at Facebook you sit you put those two together what do you take from WooCommerce which is you know popular um, uh, kind of e-commerce store uh, that you now use um, in, in your new role at Hootsuite? At Woo, what I learned was that your customers aren't who you, it's not obvious who your customers are all the time. So we learned at Woo that um, 
a lot of the folks that are uh, paying for the service are actually not the folks who choose the service. And um, it was the same kind of thing. I, I, I went for a walk with a customer and it was like, well, why did you choose us? How did you select us? And it was like, well, um, my design company did. So we found that we actually had like different kinds of customers that weren't. So we had like the entrepreneur paying for the service, but then we had somebody totally different that was maybe selecting the service. And so um, it was really about there. It was like, are we asking the right questions to understand the customer journey? And that would really hit home for me there uh, because it was like not as obvious as you think it is. It wasn't a linear thing where it was like, okay, this person is this person is paying for the service and they're our customer. Our customer could be um, a decision maker in terms of somebody who's paying for the service, but it could all, there was influencing customers, people that influence the decision. And how are we reaching those people? Are we talking to those people? Are we, are we uh, connecting with them in the right way? And what's the job of marketing, right? Is the job of marketing just to reach the decision maker, which is the primary spender? Is the job of marketing to reach the influencers that create like the ecosystem that you live in? So for me, that was a really interesting learning in that uh, we have to deeply understand the customer journey and understand it not in just a linear way, like under, ask the questions that aren't obvious. In, in this case, I actually literally walked my dog with the customer. We went out to the park and I spent like an hour with her and we just walked our dogs together. That's, that's very good as, as well. It's a good, uh, pets are always a good relationship building technique. That's the other marketing, uh, marketing lessons. What, what kind of dog do you have? So I have a Kona who's a golden doodle. She's very needy and adorable. Okay, okay. I have a terrier chihuahua Aussie mix um, named uh, Ginger. And, and I think, you know, one of the lessons for me of understanding people, and, and this is a funny side note, but we did one of the first things we did as an agency many years ago was this campaign that was what does your dog say about you? And that was the whole thing. And we actually, we interviewed men and women and this and that. And, and what does it say? What does it say about you? And, um, and so that, that was one of the campaigns that, that put us on the map. So um, to wrap up, uh, we could talk about, don't get me started on pets, Elena, because we could talk about that for a while. Lastly, I just wanted to ask you was given everything that you've done, you're, you're in your first 90 days, you're implementing your, your four C's and let's see if we can remember them. They're the customers, that's the earth, that's the culture, that's the air, there's the company, that's the water. Ooh, there's the competitors, that's the fire, right? Given all of that and, and given everything that you're, you're learning, what would you recommend um, that is going to be something that a CMO can use to stand out from others, from the competition? What are the thing? What's the the extra thing? If you're going to go the extra mile, maybe it's the thing that you don't always have time for, but the thing that you know just positions you for success. What would you recommend? What's like a tactic or a tip or something else you could do if you really want to understand your new company well? Have you heard of the analogy, the balcony and the dance floor? No, no. What is the balcony and the dance floor? When you first started, whether you're a CMO or you're a person starting out in a new, new company, you have the superpower where um, you are kind of a going into the balcony. Um, you're kind of standing or you're overlooking the dance floor and everybody else is dancing, right? Everyone's in their dance routine. You might be dancing with a partner. You might be dancing on your own. And, you know, you kind of have your lane and you're dancing in your lane. When you're on the balcony, you're able to see kind of, you're not able to see up close. You can't see the dance floor. You don't really know the moves, but you know where everyone's going. You're able to see if people are about to collide. Um, you're able to see kind of um, a bird's eye view. And so 
you have this one shot to ask the right questions before you yourself are going to be on that dance floor. So what I like to do is provide a perspective. A lot of times you coming in, you might feel like maybe this is a stupid question, but actually I asked the question anyway, be brave and do it because um, people are in their dance moves, right? They're not seeing it because they've been there for a while and they know a lot more than you do, but you see things that they don't that are obvious. And sometimes those obvious things can be the unlock. So I find that asking a lot of questions in the beginning and creating my observations are going to be the things. And like a year later into any job, there still seem to be the truth. So um, the observations tend to be true, even if you don't have the full picture of information. So uh, asking the right question is more important than having the right answer because it'll lead you to the right answer. According to Hootsuite CMO Alina Vilk, the business world is a dance of four elemental forces. Earth, air, water, and fire, representing customers, culture, company, and competitors. Your customers are your earth, your foundation, the fertile ground that sustains your business. Culture is the air that fills your sails, driving your team's spirit and innovation. It's not just about filling a room, it's about creating an atmosphere where everyone can thrive. Your company, that's the water, adaptable and essential, nourishing every part of your business. And don't forget the fire, your competitors, sparking innovation and focus, keeping you on your toes. So take a page from Elena's book and spend some time on the balcony to get that bird's eye view of your business dance floor. It could be your superpower for asking the right questions and finding transformative answers. For Top CMO, I'm Ben Kaplan. This amazing episode was brought to you by Top Thought Leader. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.